0: Hello and welcome to Talking Tent, a brand new podcast about movies, TV, and all the content we can possibly consume.
1: My name is Zach. And I'm Irma. We are a married couple whose love of movies, TV, and M. Night Shyamalan can simply not be contained. So we've decided to share our thoughts, opinions, cheers, and occasional jeers with the world. We saw Knock at the Cabin this week, and I'm loving it. I can't wait to speak about it, but we're going to save that. For the third segment, so to start us off like we do every week, we're starting with Hot Goss, industry talk. Netflix, once again, is kind of the talk of the town right now because of their trying to pull every penny from us poor little viewers. A few weeks ago or months ago, they started upcharging for multiple screens, right? And then most recently came out with their password nonsense that they were trying to quell the amount of password sharing that's happening in the world, which in theory I kind of understand as like a business boy, but I don't know. It's really hard this day and age to actually do that. And then the way that they proposed to do it was absurd. It's like every device that you had ever had on Netflix needs to log in at least once a month from the home Wi-Fi. So I think for me, that would be fine because I do end up using my phone enough, but there are definitely people that may only use Netflix on their phone like once every few months and then they would forget about it and then all of a sudden they try and watch it on their TV and since they hadn't logged in on their phone, they the whole thing gets locked down. Who knows what the process of getting that worked out is.
0: This honestly doesn't make much sense to me, even the way you're explaining it. I feel like I still don't really understand.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people got upset and then it turns out Netflix also didn't know how it was going to work out because they immediately backtracked.
0: Well, it sounded like that was like posted by accident. That's what I've heard, you know, I, but that's an easy oh, like thing the, to the say. Ru- the
1: new rules. You yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a classic one. Yeah. They dump it on some poor schmo that exactly. wasn't supposed yeah, to yeah, say it. Yeah, Some it. intern. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they've backtracked and they said it's only happening in some countries and it's not the U.S. So I don't know. I know one guy that canceled.
0: <laughs> but that's the thing. Everyone has Netflix. I feel like I that's the one that no one will ever get rid of just because they have so much stuff.
1: Dealing with this topic a lot, we've heard a bunch of people calling Netflix almost a utility at this point. Somehow, for for me, it feels like the least essential yet most ubiquitous streamer. If you think about what we talked about the first five episodes of this podcast, our favorite movies, favorite TV shows, none of it was on Netflix. Nothing is on Netflix.
0: Some things are on Netflix.
1: What's on Netflix?
0: Blonde is on Netflix. All Quieter on the Western Front is on Netflix.
1: Blonde, which we told nobody to ever watch. <laughs> yes. And then so you people came out last week. We talked about yeah. it and we said, yeah, watch it. It's, you know, it's fine. Yeah since so many people have it, it's the biggest user base by far. It gets talked about more Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday was pretty good, but was Wednesday essential. You no, know,
0: but it's like, because so many people have this, a lot of people are talking about those type of shows. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but because of the Netflix model, the binge watch, I would say like the drop all of the episodes at once, like stranger things, like it doesn't get, drawn out, like, let's say, like, Last of Us does. Like, you talk about Last of Us for weeks and weeks, you know what I mean? Like, people are are excited for the next episode. With something like Wednesday, it's like you watch it in one week, and then all of a sudden, like, it's gone.
1: True. So Netflix revolutionized Hollywood and the whole business, and then is potentially a victim of their own...
0: Innovation.
1: Innovation. (laughs)
0: Because,
1: yeah, that's a good point. Even the stuff that does pop is only it only pops for a little bit because everyone's then just done with it
0: yeah because you can't really like talk about things like ah the latest episode it's more of like oh how far did you get and then like i don't know what episode four was you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i finished it so uh, yeah it's just like a weird thing that netflix has done to the industry because i don't really like I mean, I like binging some crappy shows, but if it's a good show, I do like to savor it, you know, and talk about it with people. The
1: anticipation is nice, like The Last of Us, but then when it's available, you're always just going to watch it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I understand Netflix wanting to do something to, um, I would say, boost their sales because, I mean, they don't make that much money. I don't know. None of these streaming companies do anymore, So I I understand needing to do something. I mean, they should just do like a tier similar to what Hulu does with like commercials and then a tier for people who want to pay or can pay a little more without commercials. You know what I mean? I think that's the best thing.
1: That's always so tough to do. Once you give your users a thing, it's really hard to take it away. It's much easier to start lower and then upgrade than it is to tell people oh now you can pay a little bit less but you'll have commercials and people are just going to be mad and no
0: I don't think so I don't think so I feel like we're what we're two people I mean a family with like kids and like I don't know who like kids who are in college they're like I'm not paying for this you know for you like might as well go down there's I mean these things are expensive they add up like I get it people want to just pay something pay cheaper if they can.
1: Netflix being the most expensive one by a wide margin. How much is Which it? is also interesting. You I pay for it. Like I have 20, no idea. <laughs> I think it now it's like 27, where Disney okay. is 6. And well, does that
0: include Hulu, Disney?
1: Hulu and Disney, I I think I have that bundle that's like 13 right. together. Uh, HBO is, I think, would be 15 if you bought HBO Max. Yeah. The difference being, well, Disney is its own beast, but... The difference being Netflix and HBO are only media companies, whereas Apple has Apple behind it. Well, that's the thing. Apple and and Amazon. Amazon, Yeah, they're tech companies
0: essentially. So they have so much money. Like they sell a product.
1: Yeah, the shows don't really matter. The shows are almost just ads for the iPhone. Exactly. It's just a really interesting space. I think for the next year or two, the bill is going to come due and things are going to start shifting there's been all of these streamers, and one of them is going to fall apart.
0: From Netflix to the Grammys, what do you think of the show this year? It was
1: good. I always look forward to the Grammys as the most entertaining of the award shows. The Oscars, I think, is the only one that actually holds weight. Like, people really care about who wins and loses. And I think the Grammys were very early to realize.
0: I don't know. I think Beyonce fans would have something to say about that. I know. We are going to get to that.
1: (laughs) And it seems like that is the only thing that anybody cares about. So they should just give it to her. The Grammys were the first to kind of realize that music, music is so hard to award at all. There is so much music in the world. And it became so easy to release music. There's hundreds of albums that come out every week. And everybody's music taste is so personal. It just feels different than TV and movies.
0: Well, the Grammys does give out. Like, I want to say it's like something crazy, like 92 awards, we just don't see them. Yeah. We only see like maybe 10, you know?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, I I don't, not even close to 10. I think they show like four or five.
0: Yeah. Well. And
1: they realize that's just make the night a celebration of music.
0: Yeah, which is always so fun. An awesome
1: and an awesome concert. I remember from the last few years is they always did like really cool collaborations.
0: Yeah, they did. One that
1: comes to mind, even though. It seems odd to say it right now, but when Kendrick and Imagine Dragons. Yeah, it was
0: so good. I remember that. Yeah,
1: did like this rock remix of Kendrick's songs. Kendrick with a full rock band yeah. behind him was really cool. And there's just a bunch of those. Like every performance was two of your favorite pop yeah. or rap or stars. And they didn't do any of those.
0: Well, they this did year. that with the, the 50 years celebrating hip hop. Yeah. But that was all like their individual songs, and then they would bleed into each other, which I thought that was really great.
1: Yeah, that thing was really cool. Some people sounded better than others. It's hard to well, come in in the middle a of a of rap them are song. Old. <laughs> True, but a lot. Of the, some of the cues were really, really tight for when they had to come yeah. in and out. Queen Latifah came out, and she had a full intro of her song yeah. to know where she was in the song to start. But a bunch of the guys, when they were doing them, really hot really Mm -hmm. quick it was like boom in and out of the sound and it's just hard to do that especially with rap that's like really time-based
0: yeah yeah i mean i think they still did a really good job though that's a very yeah it's a hard thing to do for sure
1: it was really cool yeah in general it was fun i think it was a little disappointing when i started to rethink about how cool the performances used to be and how these ones felt like okay sam smith the performance was really good but i also just saw this on snl and it was exactly the same
0: yeah Well, I guess in a year where you don't have Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and Adele performing, like, these are the best that they've got. You know what I mean? Like, we had Harry Styles, and his performance actually was just reading that I guess it got messed up right before they started. So they were, like, kind of improvising the whole time, which you could kind of tell in a weird way. Like, it felt kind of low energy, and it was... I mean, I love Harry Styles, but I would say, like, I was a little disappointed. And especially for him winning Album of the Year, you would expect something to be, I don't know.
1: You got to blow it out. Yeah, you got
0: to blow it but out. And he, he didn't. Maybe he I feel like to. the best performance was Bad Bunny. That was so much fun. I was dancing in my, on the couch. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so great. But other than that, I don't know. I mean, I loved the Sam Smith performance.
1: The opener and the closers were definitely the yeah. best two performances. They were the ones that felt like big Grammy performances. I agree. And everyone else kind of felt like this is what they do when they go on SNL. Right. Kendrick also didn't perform.
0: Yeah. I know. know. I'm surprised that they didn't have more performances.
1: Well, Lizzo's speech was incredible.
0: Yeah. And she she won for song Song of the year. Yeah. She was great. I love her. I really do.
1: They were reading the list and Lizzo and Adele were at the same table.
0: Yeah, are they best friends? Probably they-
1: not. <laughs> they just were set, like, they both seemed very nice, so they yeah. were just chit-chatting. But the cameras kept going to them, because obviously it's Lizzo well, and Adele. Well, it kept
0: going to them, Beyonce and Taylor Swift, which Always. is the best, yeah.
1: I felt like Lizzo had to win something. And that song is so good. It's like a bona fide banger. And when they're reading off Song of the Year, I was like, oh, this is definitely the one. It's got to be. And then she won And she seemed legitimately shocked and so happy. And her whole story is cool. She just came out of like she was an underground rapper and has totally transitioned into this this pop queen and just like her whole message her positivity. And and then she said she wasn't ready for it. And she gave the most eloquent speech. Yeah. Honestly, one of the best speeches I've heard out of these things she said everything was perfectly paced it was so exciting and then I said the same thing I was like wow that was one of the best speeches I've ever heard and then Trevor Noah made yeah. the exact <laughs> same joke I was like I should host these things but yeah and then the old the showstopper for me honestly was I had listened to Khaled's album and I heard God did the song mm-hmm. and I guess I didn't register how long Jay-Z goes for and when you're watching it in that setting I was blown away,
0: especially sitting down like yeah. the way they were. It wasn't like
1: it looked really cool. I Jay Z is a is a weird one for me, honestly. Uh, Hard Knock Life Volume Two is one of the seminal albums of my life. Can I get a? Might be my favorite song of all time from that album.
0: Oh, and
1: but then it, I've always been like, is he's had a, a so much music that some of it just feels repetitive. Yeah. he got to a point where it's like, all right, okay, we get it, kind of. But then he does this, and you're like, God damn, that's why this guy's the, the king.
0: Wait, so you're saying that the song was the same?
1: Like, it- I'm pretty sure. It, I'm pretty sure it is. I don't think he extended it for the live okay. version. I just, no, I guess, I never great. was like listening to like, oh my god, he's been rapping for like four straight minutes. Yeah. And I was really listening to him this time because he was just emphasizing when you see it live, you could kind of see they're all loving it also like Lil Wayne next to him and everybody.
0: Yeah, that was definitely a fun performance.
1: I guess we do need to talk about Beyonce, though. The one awards thing that does seem to matter that I wasn't even aware of until Irma pointed this out.
0: She's never won Album of the Year. She's only won Song of the Year once for Single Ladies, and that was back in 2010 everything else has always been the R&B vocalist, the R&B song of the year, the R&B album of the year. It's never been for just like the straight, like best album, you know? And that's kind of frustrating. I have to say, cause I do think Beyonce is probably like the singer of our generation. Like, I know that sounds cheesy, but she really is. When you think of like, People our age, who are they going to say is probably the best? Maybe her and Rihanna, maybe her and Adele Shore, maybe her and Taylor Taylor Swift. But at the same time, like the fact that like all of those other people have, well, maybe not Rihanna, but have one and she hasn't. Like, I just feel like that's a huge snub.
1: It's definitely a weird thing when you start looking at it. Lizzo said as much. She said the same thing that yeah. she said in this eloquent speech I just talked about, that Beyoncé is the artist of our time. She is. Yeah, kind of unequivocally at this point. I had a. I used to have an argument about somebody else that we can't talk about anymore. <laughs> so now Beyoncé is unequivocally the artist of our generation. It does feel weird that she hasn't won album of the year. Granted, it's a weird thing because now she has the most grabbies. So you're waiting that on her. So she is the most celebrated artist ever. Yeah, but she's like
0: the most celebrated artist in this like niche box that they've put her in. And it's like weird because obviously, like, she's such an important figure there. Like, they're all the camera's always cutting to her, you know, for her reactions. But then you won't give her this, like, just honor you know what i mean she deserves to have it in her career but that's why like people like drake and other rappers have just stopped submitting and don't go to the grammys
1: yeah so when you start to look at the list she's been nominated for album of the year four of her seven albums this one i think will be a rough one going back in time and we're
0: not saying harry doesn't deserve it that's the thing like harry styles seems like a really great guy love harry yeah,
1: this one and then the when she lost, uh, for the self titled Beyonce to Beck.
0: Yeah, bizarre. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean
1: Beck is good.
0: Sure. It, but in
1: again, look like when people go twenty years from now and they're looking at Beyonce's career and they say she lost to Beck and Harry Styles, it, it's well, gonna feel weird. she also lost to Adele weird. and Taylor Swift. Right. Those ones feel a little less weird. Like Adele's twenty five is a special, special thing. And she puts out an album every five years. I
0: don't know. Lemonade was great.
1: Obviously, <laughs> Lemonade is is a. Huge I mean, yes, album. Adele
0: deserves it, but at the same time, so does Beyonce. I'm
1: j- I'm not saying that Beyonce couldn't have won for Lemonade. Of yeah. course, that album is going to be historic for the rest of time. But it doesn't feel as crazy when Adele beats you sure, or Taylor sure, Swift sure. beats you. It just feels like, oh yeah, I mean. That's what happens. He
0: who shall not be names may have something else to say I about know. Imagine, that. imagine
1: he was there last night and yeah. Harry wins, What he was going to, I'll let you finish. <laughs> but yeah, we, we had to talk about the Grammys. It's not exactly in our purview, but it, it, tent is tent, you know, tent content. Is tent. Music is content. Maybe we'll talk more about music, but I bet we'll be talking when Billie Eilish puts out that next album, we'll be talking about it.
0: Oh, I can't wait. I know. All right, time for our next segment, On the Couch. Time to get into our comfy clothes and talk about TV. All right, so let's talk about the last episode of The Last of Us, episode four. Um, How do you feel jumping back into the main storyline after the last episode was so intimate?
1: It was definitely jarring at first. Also interesting that we were, because we were so pumped about the episode, I ended up finding a bunch of YouTube clips Of Murray Bartlett And Nick Offerman It's like HBO sent them out To do the circuit with all the late night shows Because they knew they had something special And they sent them out Like actually the week after it aired Because maybe they didn't know what they had And the critics were just like This was amazing And so they sent Murray Bartlett and everybody out On on Colbert and Fallon and Kimmel So we watched a bunch of them It felt funny that These two guys that are not on the show they were on one episode, and uh, presumably they will not be on any other episode. It's like Pedro Pascal's show, and they were kind of the first people to really pop from it. So that felt interesting. Not bad, not good, just interesting. But I think they did a good job transitioning back to kind of the hard Joel and
0: Ellie, yeah, and, and their the, mission, essentially. And the bleak
1: nature yeah. of the world because they kind of did it with a soft hand where we saw Joel and Ellie bonding a little bit and Ellie making jokes. Yeah. I think at one point she makes him laugh.
0: I know. Yeah. Well, she made me laugh yeah. with those, some of those the jokes. Puns, great ones. But I have to say it's been what, two episodes now and there's been almost no clickers or zombies, you know? And I feel like for a zombie show, that's a little strange. I mean, I'm not mad, but it's also kind of like, I guess I'm expecting more of that type of stuff, but I'm sure it'll it's coming. Yeah, I feel like they did hint to it this episode.
1: It's not television, it's HBO. It's not a zombie show. Mm-hmm. It's a zombie drama. Yeah. And it's about the people. Yeah, it's about the people. Walking Dead did the same thing. There were a lot of zombies for yeah. sure. But then there were also episodes, and this is actually when I thought The Walking Dead kind of started to fall apart, when it was like there's 20 different factions of people and we all need to figure out why they all hate each other. Yeah. They did that in this episode. They They started it. They
0: did. Yeah, and they did that with this episode, bringing in Melanie Linsky, um, who played Kathleen and her right-hand man. um, I think Perry was his name in this episode. I feel like it, like, showed... Not their background, but it like gave them a little bit of humanity because I know in the video game, they're not actual like characters necessarily. They're just like an obstacle to be one, I would say.
1: That's going to keep happening, I think. And I'm really impressed with Craig Mazin and how he's writing and pacing and working this all out. That's the point of turning it into a show is turning these characters that are kind of just robots that you beat into real people
0: yeah yeah i mean it's cool that like one of them is melanie linsky she's been like everywhere lately you know speaking of yellow jackets also melanie
1: linsky big fan for a long time another one didn't know that she was from new zealand
0: (laughs) i know (laughs) when she starts talking oh my god both of us gasped
1: yeah i've been watching her since the duplass brothers stuff i can't think of a single time she's used her real accent then until That's actually crazy.
0: You're the, right. You're the right. Interview so after, the interview yeah.
1: after the after show thing that they do. We were both like, what? <laughs> this episode introduced kind of the next obstacle in their mission. And it it ended on a cliffhanger, which was really nice. They haven't done that yet.
0: That's true. So They
1: ended on a cliffhanger after having kind of fun. Like we felt we were laughing. They got to the city and then the, the music shifted. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Things might get bad. I know that was so again. frustrating
0: that the freaking car—they lose it so fast.
1: Yeah, yeah they work so hard to get oh, this car. Oh yeah, But I know we're not going to go into as much detail every episode. I think maybe we'll we'll do like quick hitters on kind of overall how we felt about the episode, and then maybe every every three we'll get get really detailed. But Irma wanted to talk about. I think the same thing will go for Poker Face, but this one felt this one felt again kind of like a shift for the show.
0: Yeah, I like how the show focuses. Um, At least so far on people that are on the fringes of society that are like, not outcasts, but like slightly overlooked, especially like in this episode, the character Betty, um, who's played by Kay Callahan. Also in Knives Out, she plays the grandmother. And I think it's like even in the same thing in Knives Out, like She knows what's happening the whole time, but no one is listening to her. Like, she could tell you what's happening. And in this episode, she's doing the same thing. Like, she's calling out Irene and Joyce. She's saying, like, oh, they're bad news. Don't listen to them. But because Charlie meets them first, the two killers, we're just more inclined to side with them.
1: This is the first one where Charlie, when we're introduced to Charlie, she's befriending the killers. And in the first four, she was always friends with or had interacted with the victims. Yeah. So that was the impetus of why she was really trying to figure it out. They also played with the audience in a similar way. They made us think that the guy had really wronged them. And then they don't reveal the truth about the whole scenario until much later. So they they duped Charlie and us, which was a new twist on the Pretty predictable for me. Right, this right. Show. And I
0: also feel like because she became friends with them, she's more likely to like kind of fill in the blanks or kind of like, eh, who cares about like their like little lies. They also even didn't tell her what they were doing in the past. And in Charlie's mind, she just kind of fills in this, um, this flashback, like, oh, they're just arranging flowers instead of what they were actually doing, but they never actually said what they were doing. So she, it was just kind of like her allowing them to lie to her in a weird way, which I think is a really cool way to get around this trope, you know, of like her being able to tell when they're lying.
1: She was inclined to believe these hip yeah, older ladies. Exactly. Because she, she's kind of a hip rebel gal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's,
1: that's what they showed until the truth came out about Yeah, they really were. And I just wanted to shout out shrinking again, just quickly. This week's felt like it kind of settled into more of the story and the characters. It didn't need to introduce anything. It didn't need to introduce a concept. It's just we know what it is now and the people can just be the characters. And I just love a good sentimental show. And I think it's actually really funny. It reminded me like of a funnier parenthood or early modern family when they would do the whole episode and then the last five minutes they'd hit you with that really sentimental thing and you'd be crying a little bit. I just think it really works I really like it. They did a little bit more of Jessica Williams this this week. And if you don't know who she is, she's the one that did, was the love interest on the second season of Love Life. And she played a very similar similar character in Kid Cudi's Enter Galactic, which was this really cool animated movie that Kid Cudi did on Netflix. On Netflix. Netflix. One yeah. thing that I did, we did like on Netflix. But yeah, I just wanted to shout it out. It's just a, a good sentimental show.
0: I do enjoy watching that with you.
1: And now, finally, we're going on date night. We did go out. We got a, I got way too much popcorn, put way too much butter on it. We saw Knock at the Cabin. And as I had established earlier, I'm a big M. Night Shyamalan guy.
0: Do you think he's our uh, the film director of our generation?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> but I love him. And this movie has to be his best since the early run.
0: Yeah, this was definitely really good.
1: It was really good. We're going to try and talk about it without actually spoiling anything because oh. I do want people to see it. I think we can be a little vague about this movie. Uh, and then I just I want to talk about M. Night just in general because it's exciting. The standout, and they do it, he does it right away, is Batista.
0: Well, I would say, like, this movie starts. At a nine. And it stays at a nine. Which is crazy. Or even it goes to an 11. You know what I mean? I think it
1: actually started as a nine, dipped to a seven, and then went up to an 11 with that, with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The climax. So I would say like the anxiety, I don't know, but it's so good. Yeah. And it's all due to Batista, essentially. Like I have said for so long, Batista is a genuinely really good actor. And I hold... Steady on that. He is so good, and no one else could carry this movie. No one else.
1: It was a very specific role. Apparently, in the book, he is described as a very large man. So it had to be one of these guys. He had to yeah, be- but,
0: like, it could have been someone else. Who? I don't know. Like, could you imagine, like, Channing Tatum doing that? Absolutely no. Not. Exactly. He It just is so believable as, like, a kind- Person. It all rests and dies on his performance.
1: So Batista's character had to be a large, intimidating man. But what was special and what M. Night saw in casting him was his ability to channel his empathy. And he was so believable in his reluctance. He wasn't just a brute. Like, a lot of big guys can just play a brute. Yeah. And he did this perfect, caring reluctance with like this intimidating presence because he had to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like you look at him and you're like, oh, no, that guy could kill me.
1: Yeah. You and know? they reference that a yeah. few times. And the the reluctance of all of the, the people you see coming to the cabin with Rupert Grint being one of them, the reluctance they all shared, I thought was very impressive to do that in this performance. And he plays with M. Night Shyamalan. He plays with a lot of kind of the tropes of today of conspiracy theories and constantly making you question what's real and what's not in this essentially a religious belief. Like you kind of have to put, as a very cynical man myself, you have to put This cynicism aside, potentially, like you're you're thinking about it. You're watching it, thinking about like, what would I do in this scenario? It seems crazy what they're saying. And they address that also that Jonathan Groff's partner is much more cynical of the whole thing. M. Night just does a really good job building the tension. He knows when to turn away from it. He knows when to highlight it.
0: This movie is rated R, right? But they don't actually show... Um, any of the violence on screen, which yeah. I find interesting, a
1: lot of the violence he turns away from as a as a student of horror and thrillers. Yeah, I think he he often they often say the scariest things are the things you don't see.
0: Absolutely, and I think
1: that had to play into it. Um, I think he also was just it is a human story, and to show these people to show brutally well, what happens to some of these people,
0: intimate story. Oh yeah. I mean, they got and he got very like close up on some of the camera shots, um, which I re- you remarked on almost immediately.
1: Yeah. A hallmark of M. Night Shyamalan is his camera work. He's very underrated just in his filmmaking in yeah. general. And this is when I kind of want to just talk about his whole his whole thing. <laughs> Talking about the camera work in this movie, he does an incredible amount of ultra close ups. Yes. Again, highlighting the humanity of the story. It opens with Batista talking to the young girl. and When? It's, and it is ultra close-ups of, of both of them, back and forth, just their faces. Uh, a testament also to the acting, because that is so hard to to show all of these different emotions when there's just nothing distracting anybody. Yeah. All you're seeing it's is their all face.
0: on your face. And yeah. the little
1: girl does a great job, she too. She does
0: such a good job, and she's so cute.
1: And I think he started, I noticed this technique of being ultra close to people, he started really playing with it, I think, in Servant, the show.
0: Well, I feel like that gave him a good um, medium to play with. True, you know, see, yeah. I think he's met a lot of people also doing that. Like Rupert Grant is one of them. He had two cinematographers that he's talked about on this movie, and he's met them both on Servant. Yeah, so I feel like maybe he's just like maybe that's his like test ground in a way. Yeah, and then he brings that into like he's these burger movies.
1: This is a really interesting place in his career to examine him a little bit deeper. Cause this feels like we'll know going forward because he already has two more movies and ready to go. And he has stated that he's going to keep making movies. He's not that old for how much he's done. And this is something tells me, this is kind of going to be the start of phase four in the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> universe. It started with just, bangers, like an unbelievable start to a career. It wasn't technically his debut movie. He had two movies before it, but the one that really shot him into the zeitgeist was obviously The Sixth Sense that came out in 1999. It's such an incredible kind of debut, I'm calling it, that honestly, that's what makes me give him the benefit of the doubt in any project. I'm like, somebody that can do that, even if other projects have been like, okay, you've fallen off a little bit. I'm just like, Keep going, man. Keep pushing it.
0: And I also feel like that movie was so seminal in like a lot of people's lives. Like we were what, like 13, 12, 12, you know what I mean? And like when you see that movie, you're like, oh my God, this is what's possible.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I think in our first episode, I was talking about the Matrix of Fight Club and usual and suspects. Yeah. I didn't mention this, and this is definitely up there yeah. in the movies that really shaped us. Yeah, absolutely. And showed us. He, it's not like he was the first person to do a crazy twist, but he but for did, our
0: generation. He you know was. what I mean? Yeah.
1: And and then especially just yeah, having a child in it, having it be a story about a child, mm. and yeah, it just spoke right to us. Yeah. I think this might the sixth sense might be early on what unlocked. My love of horror,
0: <laughs> yeah, and
1: it wasn't even because I wasn't even into horror.
0: It was scary. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, the Misha Barton scary. thing when she was under yeah, the yeah, I under know. The, I was just thinking that when she throws up,
1: and when she's under the bed, yeah, it's so scary, so
0: scary. Yeah,
1: and then they show like the the, the hanging of,
0: people, yeah, oh, the um, hanging,
1: the hanging stuff had me like in I the still school, have some yeah. trouble watching people hanging. Yeah, that's like the one thing that really still gets me. The yeah, amount of yeah. horror that I watch. But- yeah, this movie was celebrated by the Oscars, which I actually didn't realize how much it was. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. Haley Joel Osment was nominated oh, as how old was he? I don't even know. Young. Six years old as Sexy. best supporting six. whatever he was. He did a great job. That was the American Beauty and Matrix year. So oh, yeah. American Beauty, That's obviously. That's a good year, yeah. Jesus. American Beauty took all like the, the serious yeah. stuff and then the, Ma- the Matrix took all the technical stuff, but I didn't even realize it was nominated for that much. And then he follows it up with Unbreakable in 2000, so directly the year later. And I remember watching this. I was home alone one night and it came on probably on HBO. And I was just blown away. I rem- I was a big Batman and X-Men and superhero cartoon fan. I would watch X-Men every Saturday, Batman whenever I could. And then this was kind of, again, like for our generation, the first thing that was a play, a darker play on the superhero story.
0: Yeah. Unbreakable, I thought, was amazing. I really, I loved it. And even like... Glass doesn't really work for me as well, but Split, oh my God, Split is so good.
1: Yeah, and well, Split wasn't even part – it was like totally unrelated. It wasn't until the very end that they re- revealed true, that it true, was true. all in the same yeah, universe. Yeah. Do you think he's going
0: to make another one in this universe? Probably. I hope so. I mean – James McAvoy. I mean, that performance, honestly, that blew me away.
1: And he definitely saw what was happening in Hollywood. Obviously, the Marvel stuff wasn't even close yet. Yeah. But there were Batman movies and there were some other movies. And he kind of pounced right in and he he said, this is my superhero story.
0: Yeah, that that wasn't like a comic book, right? Was that just like no, an original idea? Original, yeah. That's amazing. He's, like, his mind is definitely like.
1: Great ideas. Yeah. Then he comes in with signs, which is two years later. Probably the most comparable to Knock at the Cabin just because it's a it's a, a small movie about a family. Yeah, true, I didn't it's even a think home about invasion. That. And again, this was kind of his reaction to all of the alien movies in the in the late nineties, like Independence Day and Contact and Men in Black and Starship Troopers, the faculty, except this one, and what he does so well is he adds heart and love and family and and empathy to a genre story, which not that many people are doing. I hesitate to say it. Spielberg does it. And that's all I can think of. Like people that do these big hit genre thrillers or fantasy stories, but there's what's really important in all of them is always the small relationships, the families you have. You actually care about the people where not all of those movies that I just listed, they're all fun. But it's just not the same. So again, he kind of puts—he's like, "This is my alien story." Yeah, and it's fantastic.
0: No, it's it is really great.
1: And then the village is two years later. That one I think is a little more iffy in the yeah, oeuvre. Yeah, this one I think this one will go as time passes. People will re- revisit it, and I feel like this was the moment that people started questioning him a little bit. But I think when they revisit the village, like, oh no, this was still very good right after this is when it starts to get rough. So phase 2 <laughs> of the shamalanaverse is lady in the water, the happening, the last airbender and after earth from 06 to 13. None of those movies are very good and this is when this is when my defense of him became ingrained I feel like. Yeah. Like it's when artists cuz most artists work does waffle. You
0: know, Absolutely. you're not going to have yeah. genius
1: after genius. There are some examples. And like especially that.
0: like he does like most everything himself. Yeah. You know what I a- mean? And I feel like lately he's been allowing people to write with him and stuff. But I mean, it's tough. Yeah.
1: He does nearly everything himself. And it's that's also something that's very interesting about him that he never. He never moved to Hollywood. He He's from Philadelphia. Mm. He lives in Philadelphia. I didn't know he that. He works in Philadelphia. Wow. Every movie takes place basically in or around Philadelphia. Really? And all the people just come to him. And it's like him.
0: Should we go? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Knock on his door?
1: <laughs> um. And so this run, this run again, like those movies admittedly are not good. And it just became like an artist that I thought. The Sixth Sense in those early movies were so good. It's like, let's keep going. And also, it's tough because he's not telling just normal stories, right? He's really pushing it with everything he does. Yeah, everything is ex- a big idea.
0: Exactly. And people expect big swings. And then when he does these big swings, people like almost like not nitpick it, but they're like disappointed by what his, the, what the swing was, essentially, what the twist was. Absolutely. And I just feel like, I mean, at least he's. Doing it, you know, like a lot of people would be too scared to do it, like to fully commit. And he does commit, and I love that about him.
1: Yeah, he did. So he just started off with four big twists. Unbreakable is arguably like the twist is the twist isn't essential to the story, but because mm. it's like it's more just a, it's a, it's his superhero sh- movie. But there's definitely a twist, and then it became like. Every M. Night Shyamalan has to have this big twist. And yeah, I feel like it was kind of on the audience to be like, no, it's fine (laughs) if he just tells a normal story. And I think actually, so we just rewatched, I remember in this stretch of time watching a movie called Devil, which he produced. And uh, I looked into it. He has the story credit. So it's hard to know when you're just looking at the credits, what that means. but So he has a story credit. Somebody else wrote it. Somebody else directed it.
0: So maybe he just gave notes?
1: Yeah. I mean, I uh, yeah. presume – I'm assuming it was his idea. Okay. And it was that five people get stuck in an elevator. One of them is the devil.
0: Yeah, and we just watched this, and I had never watched it before because I – I thought it was too scary, and you kind of had it on while I was like working, and I was just engrossed. <laughs> like I didn't actually expect to like it, to be completely honest, but I really did. It's a great story.
1: I remember watching it early on with again this like defense of M Night just being like, "Come on, man, we got this after yeah. this tough run." So uh, Devil came out in 2010, so it was after Lady in the Water and The Happening, but then before the last end, the last Airbender, and after Earth. I'm very interested to see what would have happened if he just kept it. And again, assuming that like this was his idea. And then I don't know, maybe because the last, uh, the last airbender was a huge undertaking. Yeah. Well, yeah, a huge flop. But like, it was his big, like Hollywood effects and all this stuff. Cause it was, you know, a fantasy story. Yeah. Which he had never done before. So all of this is kind of conjecture, but I'm, I'm thinking that he had this idea, but he was like, I just don't have time to make this movie. Cause. I'm doing my passion project of the last end. Yeah, I I know
0: it sucks that that didn't work out for him. But
1: Um, I'm really curious because I the movie devil is I remember thinking it was really good. We just rewatched it. It's definitely good. I do wish I could see his version of it. Yeah, because a lot of it was a little overwrought.
0: Sure. I mean, it was also what? 2010, you said. Yeah. so, So it doesn't like hold up as well. With the effects and all of that stuff, yeah, but. but
1: not even the effects. It was just like a little heavy-handed, like sure. the music. It, the The story was about five people in an elevator, but like the like the booming music and stuff.
0: And from what you said, like he does those intimate stories so well. So well, well. and so and like, I would
1: love to see what he would do with a camera in an elevator. True. So we didn't get that. It still definitely works. It's interesting. I'm I'm really curious what would have happened if he just kept that one and made it, because then. And this is phase three. He does The Visit in 2015, and this feels like his comeback. I didn't see this. It's happening. It's just this creepy, slightly more humorous, and probably the most horror-ish movie he's had. It's about two kids that go visit their grandparents whom they've never met, and things transpire. And it's basically, again, they're in a small cabin, it's the four of them, two, a boy and a girl, and then the the grandma and the grandpa. And things get out of control. And it's just, it's great. It's really creepy. That, again, there's a twist. <laughs> he did a twist, and this twist was great. And then he expands on the Unbreakable verse. So now we're, we're post-Marvel. The MCU is blowing up everywhere. He's like, you know what? I can do that too. Going back to what Irma was saying, split feels like, he had this idea of a schizophrenic guy who has all these different characters.
0: Personalities.
1: Personalities. He he gets James McAvoy, Ugh. who did such a good job.
0: Who I... I know this is going to sound so silly, but like, how was he not nominated for that? That was so un-freaking-believable. It was so good. The genre stories,
1: maybe nowadays he would. Probably not. Some of the personalities are a lot.
0: Yes. And also, (laughs) I'm sure some of them are probably problematic, problematic, but Um, I haven't watched it in a while, so I can't. Regardless, he does a
1: really good job. And then at the end, they reveal that this guy is in the same world as Bruce Willis from unbreakable yes and then you know okay we're doing it yeah he's doing it he's doing his own universe so in unbreakable he was like okay this is my superhero movie mm-hmm. and then with split he was like oh no we're doing now i'm doing a Shyamalan verse
0: yeah well was glass glass was before this no, right
1: glass is the the end oh the
0: i didn't realize that okay i didn't realize glass came after this
1: yeah so then glass is kind of like the 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 clash of all of the char- the all three characters. Uh, and I wonder if he would, if he would go back to it.
0: Why not?
1: Yeah. And then the next thing he does is servant. And again, I'm like, all right, M Knight, I'm following you. We're doing this. Let's make a show. And horror shows in general are really, really hard to do because it's hard to keep people scared for that long. It's hard for the scares and the concept to not f- feel either too familiar or too cheesy after eight episodes or more, so just going in uh, every time a horror show comes on, I'm always like, maybe this will be the one. Maybe we'll get this. Mike Flanagan has kind of done it. Yeah, on Netflix.
0: What was it, The House on yeah, the, the Hill, ha- or something? The Haunting
1: of Hill House, yeah. and then the the three follow ups that. But he does it. Even those are. They're um, limited series, so like those are even just like eight episodes, so it's like a long movie. But a continuing show is really hard to do. They definitely came with a concept of servant that is really, really good.
0: Well, it's still going on. How it's many seasons is this it is now? This is the fourth
1: season. I That's think a they're long. I yeah. think this is it. And I would say every season, it felt like they had the concept in the beginning, and then they. It seems like they had how they want to end it because it's happening right now and it's really working. But then the two seasons in the middle were like, just the whole thing is a little overstretched, which is exactly what I was talking about with a horror show. It's just hard and it's hard to do. And it's also basically about four people. It still works. And now we're getting to the point where the titular servant is expanding. Her character is becoming as powerful as we thought maybe she could be. And Nell Tiger Free, which is a crazy name, but that's the actress. She does a standout job. The other actresses and actors are, they haven't, the problem is they haven't changed at all. Like Rupert Grint's character is exactly the same. He's been for four years. Uh, Lauren so there's Ambrose's no like character, character growth. Not enough. It's a little bit. But it's just not enough to carry forty episodes of TV.
0: Yeah, that is a lot.
1: Um, but it's definitely interesting. I definitely like it. The concept was there, and M Night always directs the best episodes, and of it course. feels obvious. Like, it, and it's not even like he takes the best written ones or the coolest ones. It's like his presence and his technique makes them better, and it's really obvious. It's, especially in the beginning of the series, he again he was doing. He does these weird frames of just any scenario, any shot he'll frame off, like just left of center, something you don't expect. He was doing the close-ups; he'll be like somebody talking, but half of their face is cut off, and we're seeing more of the background. And it's just the way that he does these things. And I remember two two people talking next to each other, and just how he framed their conversation was so unique. And then when he's not directing, you see, you see an obvious change. Like yeah. there's just something missing from the show. Then that basically brings us to now. So he did old. And I now liked old here. a
0: lot, actually. I I feel like the last maybe like 10 minutes of the movie, I thought like were a bit schlocky, but old in general, I thought was really good.
1: Yeah, old again, concept was there. Yeah. He kills it with the with the characters, with the humanity. It's cool. Just what happens.
0: Well, I, sometimes I feel like with um, these twists and stuff, people expect him to like explain like why Mm -hmm. something is happening so that's probably why the last 10 minutes he feels like he needs to it's not really a twist he just has to like explain it and sometimes it's just like it's good to let it be similar to what knock on the cabin is he just kind of lets it be which I like you know
1: yeah I totally agree so with old there is a twist he didn't necessarily have to to do it I actually thought I thought the twist actually at the very end of like why they ended up there was cool. The thing with the coral is what was, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Like the coral, like blocking the effect of the beach and them having to like swim through the coral. I thought was a little weird, but I guess, I guess he wanted people to escape. So there had to be a way for them to actually leave.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the twist, spoiler alert. Of them doing scientific research, like, kind of purposeful, purposefully killing these people to study their diseases and the effects of stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. No,
0: it definitely is. I guess, like, yeah, just, like, showing the lab. Yeah. I thought was a bit strange. Like, I I don't know.
1: He definitely could have just let it be. Yeah. Like, a, a, a normal horror movie doesn't always explain the demon right in this case it's yeah. a, it, it's not a demon it's a something horrible that's happening to these people there's a way to tell that story where it just kind of happens and we deal with the emotion of it and that's the movie exactly it's not like Somewhere a resu- knock
0: on the cabin resolution. you know we just kind of have to sit with the emotion of the end of the movie we're not spoiling it but it is there is no real twist to knock on the cabin which i kind of love, you know, like it's a big story and it's a big swing, but he doesn't feel the need to like have to explain it. That's for you to think about and ruminate. You know, I feel like it sits with you longer Mm -hmm. because of that.
1: There's a lot of really weighty topics when you really start to think about it. Absolutely. Knock at the Cabin, Old and After Earth. Those are the three that actually aren't his ideas. So Knock at the Cabin is based on a book. Old is based on a graphic novel. So that I was going to get to like when he thinks he has to explain it. I assume the graphic novel does explain it. So then he was just telling the whole story. Yeah. But he has also said that with Knock at the Cabin, he changed what happens. Yeah. At the end. I
0: actually don't even know what happens at the end in the book.
1: I also don't. I have a feeling, but I'm not even going to say it because that will make it like obvious, uh, obvious yeah. what does happen. So like he could have changed the end of Old if he wanted to, but I guess he liked well, showing I mean, why Sure,
0: yeah Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does next I mean, he has another movie coming out I think he said in a year, right? Yeah, he's
1: saying like every two years they will be Yeah He has something He has two movies On IMDb as upcoming One's called Labor of Love And doesn't have a year And then there's another one That's just Untitled M. Night Shyamalan Project Both of them do not have Different writers So again, I guess he's just Going back to his Original stories But with Knock at the Cabin, I'm kind of leaning towards this might be the start of phase four because Old definitely had a twist. And I'm starting to think that he's doing, there is no twist. I'm telling my stories. Stop relying on a twist, guys. Let me yeah, just yeah, yeah. make something. I I don't normally look. So the, there's a there's a one-liner for the, the labor of love. And it just says, a widower embarks on a cross-country trip on foot to prove his love to his late wife. Hmm. That just feels like a normal ass movie. Yeah. That M Night Shyamalan will obviously put his own spin on, but maybe not this crazy twisty, yeah, mind-boggling thing. And I, I'm ready for that phase of Absolutely. M Night Shyamalan, just showing that he could. It's not all genre. It's not all gimmick. Yeah. He can do it, and that that's kind of like what I've been defending for so long. Like, yes, he does genre. Yes, he does twists but he does them so good he and does. he could definitely do everything else. He, the camera work again is just like the camera work is so <laughs> underrated. You notice it when you start thinking about it. And especially in servant when it's like he's doing, and then somebody else does it and you're like, Oh, this is just simply not as good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we did it.
1: Yeah. We talked a lot about M night, baby. <laughs> I just love M night. Everybody should love M
0: night. Yeah. Definitely go see Knock at the Cabin.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Again, I think it's got to be his best since since the early run. Yeah, I would, I would call it maybe his second best movie. But Unbreakable is really good. So
0: Split is really good. Yeah, but I know this
1: is better. I I I think safely top three.
0: Absolutely, I agree
1: with. With The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable.
0: Yeah. And we didn't get too detailed into Knock in the Cabin. So anyone who wants to talk to us about it, come find us. Yeah,
1: email us. Yeah. We'll have a private interview.
0: I also (laughs) forgot.
1: So Anya Teller-Joy was in Split and Glass. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. Early Anya. I know.
1: He was was on it. He's always on on it. He he, Dave Batista, the best thing he's ever done.
0: I mean, Dave Batista has been around for a little while. Yeah, but he hasn't
1: done anything like this. He was he was Drax. He said M Knight said that he saw what he did on uh, the new the new Blade Runner, and he was like, oh, he could he can do it. Yeah. And then this is like easily the best thing he's ever. Oh, absolutely. This proves him as a as an actor.
0: As an actual actor, for sure.
1: I think we've officially exhausted my M Night Shyamalan ranting Rant. and raving. <laughs> I was excited. I, okay, one more little bit. <laughs> We're still going because I forgot I wanted to mention this. So near the end of the movie, there again, like any movie, there are parts where it, it wanes just a little bit, and you're like, okay, where are we landing this plane? And then he freaking lands that plane so good. <laughs> oh. And there's just scene. There's a scene. Jonathan Graf, just a fantastic moment a fantastic speech that he gives and I just felt at the end I like I I turned to her and I fist pumped I was like he he freaking did it and I did it that was so good and I just I left the theater I was so excited again because I just need him to be this good because I know he could be this good he's yeah. like a little kid even though he's so much older than me
0: <laughs> he's <laughs> not like, so much older yeah,
1: I think he's in his 50s right? oh um, but anyway, I just I was so excited coming out of the movie theater, so now I'm just kind of rechanneling how excited I was in that. But that's all we got for M That's all we got for TV and, and hot goss this week. Next week, we did start watching Extraordinary, and I would on definitely Hulu. Hulu Extraordinary on Hulu. I would definitely recommend it. It's again a, a play on the superhero world, a, f- a more funny, lighthearted hearted British girl.
0: <laughs> yeah and in a way kind of realistic to what would happen like infrastructure is gone to shit you know because people have superpowers and they don't want to deal with uh, helping the world. They are selfish and I kind of love it.
1: Yeah it's kind of like your your indie intimate take yeah, on,
0: exactly. on
1: the superhero world um, so and you have plenty of time so next week we'll start talking about it. I think actually we might be up to what, episode yeah. 8 I think are available. We've watched 5 of them mm-hmm. so I think we're going to kind of Talk it through. Uh, so catch up before that. Then you'll be ready for it. Uh, I think we're going to try and watch Dear Edward on Apple. This feels like another one of them sentimental Zach hits. It's uh, the new show by Jason Kadams or Kadams. I don't know how to pronounce it. But he is the guy that did Friday Night Lights. He did Parenthood. So mm. just so. Yeah. Again, a really sentimental. Oh, less, no. less funny than shrinking. So I'm definitely gonna
0: be crying every week. Yes, absolutely. Oh no! It's
1: about a small child who survives a plane crash where everybody else dies, and so the kid kind of becomes a celebrity in a way. Oh gosh! And then um, Taylor Schilling and Connie Britton are in it also. Also, I think I feel like Jason Kadams does it well.
0: He does. Like he, it's not.
1: It doesn't feel cheesy. Uh, I think it often works. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give it a chance.
0: Not like this is us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is us. We also gave a chance, but then that one kind of crossed the line into just being like too much. Yeah. Too much. Uh, And then we're we're a podcast of the people. So we're not too snooty to watch Your Place or Mine and potentially talk about it. It's the new Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher rom-com. Will they or won't they? Best friends, maybe fall in love. It comes out this week. It feels like a good date night. And maybe we'll pair that with Shotgun Wedding and just talk about what what rom coms are today.
0: Yeah, watch them both with us.
1: And then this time we didn't do a Hoffman Horror Hangout this week, so I'm gonna find an obscure horror movie just so I can chit chat about it after we get all the rom coms. I mean, I feel like out. you
0: kind of did your Hoffman Horror Corner talking about The Servant. And oh, good good all. point.
1: And <laughs> <All M>. Night <laughs> Shyamalan <laughs> is definitely a yeah, horror, yeah. Adjacent, horror adjacent horror thriller.
0: Okay, so Skinner Marine, what's that? That that's can that. I watch it?
1: No. <laughs> Yeah, I think that one, I'm actually not even sure if that... I just saw it on a release schedule. I think I might have to pay for Skinmarink, but it. I think it's this really weird, really slow horror movie that came out of Sundance just now. And Sounds exciting. Yeah, one of these indie guys that I listened to was talking about it, and he was like, a lot of people left the theater. Oh, God. <laughs> I think it's just like a really slow kind of intimate thing. So we'll see, but I'll find one to talk about.
0: Well... And that's our episode. Thank you to Craig for our production assistance on this episode. Thank you to John Welsh for our um, intro and outro music.
1: Please subscribe so you know every time we post an episode. Follow us now on all the socials Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Talk Intent. Feel free to email us at talkintent on gmail.com. From our living room to yours, what do you want to watch? Bye.